0: Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast, Pnate, Pooty Garage Mahal, two weeks in a row, this is craziness. What's happening?
1: Well, uh, yes, we're here two weeks in a row, and you can almost call that a habit. If we do it one more time, that would be called a winning streak, but, <laughs> but this time, here we are, and uh, I don't know if we have any listeners left after, after talking about how- we, we have a
0: few in Russia. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but we're back and there's more on our minds to say and kind of what we wanted to talk about today. If I can just jump right into it. Are you cool with that? You have any yeah, chit chat? Yeah, yeah. no, no, let's jump right into it. Okay. So nobody
0: wants to hear me talk. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's go.
1: So I don't know what we'll end up calling this episode, but I wanted to call the episode why we hate God's law and other things Christians shouldn't say. <laughs>
0: I love it. Uh, Let's do it.
1: The, the other thing we could say is uh, in defense of Joe Boot and the Ezra Institute. But kind of what we want to talk about for anybody who's been listening to us for quite a while, you know our relationship with Joe Boot. We've had him on the podcast a couple of times. We've encouraged you to read The Mission of God, we've encouraged you to use their resources. So, kind of what I wanted to talk about today was the backlash that Joe is getting right now, the venom, I would say, the vitriol being directed at Theonomy. It's interesting. I've been a theonomist for a while. I do embrace the term. I know some people don't like the term. Um, but essentially, the, the term theonomy, and uh, I usually don't like labeling things, like even at the church when we're talking about Calvinism or something, I would say, you know, the doctrines of grace, because if you Google Calvinism, bad stuff comes up. <laughs> because generally speaking, the stuff that floats to the top of a Google search or whatever is, you know, kind of old, cranky. He burned,
0: he burned a guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. John Calvin, uh, you know, murdered Servetus <laughs> with his bare hands or something. Not true, by the way. And so similarly, theonomy, when you Google theonomy, there will be all kinds of stuff that comes up against, you know, dominionists and all that sort of nonsense. What I mean when I say that I'm a theonomist is simply that I believe in the abiding validity of God's law. Fair? Works for me. You like that definition?
0: Yeah, I'm 100% fine with that. I was talking to my wife about this like recently and my wife is sometimes just a bit hardcore and she just, she's pretty black and white. She's she's very black and white, um, which is great. uh, She was like, I don't understand how there could be another like side of this. And I was like, what do you mean, hon? And she's like, why would everyone not? want the world to run based on the word of God and God's law. And I was just like, that's a great that's question. That's a mic that's, drop Heather. I was just like, that's a great question. What do you think honey? And she was just like, I think people need to get biblical. And that, was, <laughs> and like and then she goes back to like cleaning or whatever she was doing. I was just like so profound. Like, yeah. Just write that down instead yeah. of writing like tons of books on the subject. You know what I mean? I was just like, totally, um, totally. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's, that's hilarious.
1: Was, yeah, I, my wife, my <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm kind of like that too. So, Here's what we would say. So obviously the law of God was given to Israel at a particular time in a particular place in history. The question isn't whether or not we take the law that was given to Israel and dump it into, you know, parliament, right? The point of when we talk about theonomy, where it gets into the nitty gritty is, is really the question, well, what of God's law is abiding in the life of the believer? And to what extent should we push it onto non-believers, right? That's the real question. But here's what I want to do. I want to defend theonomy and then I want to defend Joe and then I want to talk about why everybody who is attacking theonomy and Joe right now need to get more biblical. Does that sound good? Sounds like a great plan. Okay. So in terms of theonomy, I believe that God's law reflects his character and because it reflects his character, which does not change, God's standard for a just society also does not change. That does not mean that I think if... Justin Trudeau all of a sudden got saved. He just goes and drops the book of Deuteronomy onto Canadian Parliament. I believe that the law doesn't save, the gospel saves. But I also think that a just people will cry out for a just law. That was actually the point. It talks about in Deuteronomy, it says that God was giving them these statutes so that the Gentile nations would look and say, what nation has such just laws as these? And it actually points back to their immutable just God so we ought not to argue about whether or not God's law would properly govern a nation it would it's God's law it reflects his character now when and how does a nation enact good laws well when it has regenerate people who love God's law who begin to cry out for those laws so the question is like here's how you can simply tell that all Christians are a theonomist to some point do you believe that we should have laws that protect the unborn yes yes of course (laughs) Of course. of course we believe that well why well because god's law tells us about the sanctity of life we know that we are image bearers of god abortion is awful this is why christians ought to have opposed euthanasia laws and uh, these sorts of things. So the point that I'm trying to make is that we all operate as theonomists.
0: Even non-Christians operate
1: as theonomists. Exactly. Like,
0: thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. The laws of our land are based on theonomy. You know what I mean? Like, they're based on God's word.
1: They are, but but even more than that, every person is a theonomist. Theonomy just comes from the two words, right? Theos, God, and nomos, law. So God's law. The alternatives are autonomy, right? Self-law. But everybody operates out of a worldview. There's a God of every system. Every civilization, every nation is a theocracy. It's just, what's the God of your system, right? Is it self? Is it humanism? Is it paganism? Is it Allah? What is it? Who is the God of the system? Christians believe that the living God is the God of the system, which means he is the, it's His law that ought to govern our lives. Now, we can get into all the nitty-gritty about, like, mixed fabrics and dietary laws and all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of ceremonial laws that pointed to Christ. And because Christ fulfilled those ceremonial laws, we no longer offer temple sacrifices. And and there's a lot of those kinds of things that get abrogated. But that's simply because Christ fulfilled them.
0: Do you think people's rejection of theonomy is simply that they don't understand the laws that are fulfilled in Christ and the ones that are abiding still, because Christ does say he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law, right? So we know that he even says that the law continues, right? So do you think it's just simply that Christians don't have a good understanding of what was ceremonial and what wasn't?
1: I think that's part of it. We're kind of given this threefold division of the law idea, right? That the law is separated into civil, ceremonial, and moral, And most Christians would say that God's moral law is abiding, right? That the Ten Commandments, all that kind of stuff, don't kill, don't, you know, commit adultery, all that kind of stuff. Most Christians believe that the moral law is abiding, but the civil and the ceremonial are no longer abiding. And most Christians also agree that the ceremonial fulfilled in Christ, obviously there aren't Christians who are still offering sacrifices at the temple and all that kind of stuff. The question really comes, well, what about the civil law? Well, number one, I don't think that that threefold division of the law is in the Bible. I don't think that that's that's a man-made construct for how we divide up the various aspects of God's law, but God's law reflects his character, and so it was given as a whole. We ought not to think of it as a threefold division. We ought to think of it as a twofold division, and that is simply what was fulfilled in Christ and what pointed to the character of God that Christ obeyed but continues to abide. And so the civil laws about how a just society should run ought to be the blueprint for how we interact with one another, how we interact as Christians, how we run our churches, eventually run our countries because we're post-mill and we believe that the more Christians begin to cry out for God's law, the more we ought to go back to God's law and begin to do the hard work of looking at how that translates because it doesn't go one-to-one, right? We're not in the same sort of agrarian society and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, all that to say... I just don't think most people who criticize theonomy have seriously studied theonomy. I don't think that they've actually done the hard work of reading Bonson and Rush Dooney and Joe Boot. The reason I say that is because a lot of them, you see the criticisms are very simplistic and show that they haven't actually dealt with a real theonomist. Is that fair? Absolutely. One of the criticisms that I see all the time is that theonomy confuses law and grace. And I would say, I don't think so at all. I think that we can all agree that God's law was graceful, right? The fact that God would stoop, would condescend, would give us his standard for living, I think that's an act of grace. We all believe—I've never met a theonomist who believes that the law saves. I've never met a theonomist who doesn't believe in Galatians when it talks about how the law actually restrains sin, but it doesn't save, that only grace saves. That's just a what's the phrase called a straw man? That's a straw, straw man. man. <laughs> yeah. like, what's the How this all relates to my friend Joe Boot is this. Joe has been teaching theonomic principles for years. He has been having people take God's word seriously, applying God's law and God's word to all spheres of life. And so many of the people who have been influenced by Joe Boot in Canada, ended up being a lot of the pastors who resisted the lockdowns. And so what's going on in Canada right now is I have pastors who have refused to go to conferences that Joe Boot is speaking at, have pulled their names from sharing a pulpit with Joe because they're concerned about his theonomy and the influence that he has. You have Gospel Coalition guys like Ian Clary who are writing reviews of Joe's book years after it was published calling Joe not a real scholar. There's this vitriol that's coming forward that's pointed at Joe and the Ezra Institute. And and there's a couple things I want to say about it. Number one, if you're a pastor who has started talking to your people about the dangers of theonomy or, or Joe Boot or any of this kind of stuff, especially if you are a pastor who has shared a platform with Joe in the past, if you have not done the Matthew 18 thing, <laughs> Right, if you have not operated under the principle, interestingly, of God's word, right, the principles of God's word have not governed how you've gone about addressing those concerns. If you have a concern that there is a confusion of law and grace, have you asked Joe to clarify his position of law and grace? Are you calling Joe a heretic? Right now, they're using these buzzwords. There's, hey, I'm uncomfortable with it. I think there's dangerous. I don't like the trajectory. They use these words not to call him a heretic. But they're canceling him.
0: Yeah, they're policing his tone, right? They're, they're policing, the
1: policing. Yeah, and that is definitely part of the uh, the criticism against theonomists is that we apparently we're all really horrible online.
0: You're you're a super meanie.
1: I'm a super meanie <laughs> online. This is the point though: is have any of these pastors done the hard work of talking to some of the theonomists in their own congregations? Let me tell you, or in close proximity. Have you talked about these dangers? Have you worked through these things? Have you read Joe's actual book? I would say that nobody should be sharing a review of a book that they haven't read themselves. How do you know if that review accurately reflects the views of the book? I just saw another pastor this weekend, he's probably never mentioned Joe's name from the pulpit and yet mentions Joe's name from the pulpit this week, talking about how concerned he is about theonomy and the uh, ministry of Joe Boot and the Ezra Institute. And I'm looking at this and going and saying, of all the people, Why Joe? Why this? You know, Bruxy Cavey, all of the stuff that's been going on with Bruxy Cavey. You and I, we had Jacob Raome and Eric Schneider on the podcast talking about some very real concerns. We did go so far as to call Bruxy a heretic. We use that strong language because we believe we can back it up.
0: But before we even did that, we still reached out to Bruxy Cavey before we went public with
1: it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. But my point in saying it wasn't that. And we did. We did reach out. We were actually going to have him on the podcast. But uh, his elders said no. But anyway, all that to say, you have real concerns like these guys, right? And now we see the fruit of his awful ministry as he was just uh, let go from his church for sexual misconduct. And he's admitted to it. That's not uh, hearsay anymore. He's admitted to uh, an ongoing affair for a number of years. And have any of these pastors warned their people from the pulpit about this? When we tried to talk to the Gospel Coalition, again, we had closed-door meetings, we talked to people face-to-face, we had these conversations because we felt like the dialogues between Paul Carter and Bruxy Cavey, people would have walked away from there thinking, okay, Bruxy's a good guy, I have no problem sending my kids to his his church. And yet, how many articles are we seeing now against Theonomy, against Joe Boot, against the Ezra Institute by the Gospel Coalition? They're more concerned with you know this orthodox position that most of the heroes of their faith hold to than they are about actual heretics. And it's agitating me. I'm getting worked up here, Chris. You got to take over for a second.
0: (laughs) No problem. The travesty of the whole Joe Boot thing to me is one, obviously we're fans of Joe Boot. You've said many, many times, he has had one of the biggest impacts on your ministry, if not the biggest. Yeah. Um, I've said, I don't know if I've ever said on the podcast, but I've said it to people. The Mission of God is the best book that's ever been written other than the Bible. <laughs> Obviously, I come at that with a bit of a slant, but like, I do believe that. I think if we yeah. talk about works that will continue on 100 years from now, 200 years from now, Boots' book, The Mission of God, will be that book, I, I think, think of it, our yeah. generation. The thing is, I don't know if, how many of these guys who are canceling him ever actually met him, Joe's a grace-filled guy. Like oh, I don't, totally. I don't know him anywhere near what you know him. But every interaction I've had with him has been pleasant, grace-filled, kind, yep. and, and whatnot. Um, but what's happening right now is we're seeing what should be an internal, non-public debate. Because if you're not a theonomist, that's a theological debate, right? It's a right. Like it's not it's not an issue like where we'd be like, you don't understand the gospel. You're not a Christian. You know what I mean? Like so therefore we are called to publicly downcast that ministry, like we did with Brooksy Cavey. What's happening right now is we're turning internal strife very publicly to sum it up, I actually think it's TGC guys attacking Joe Boot because over the last years Boot's been right. You know what I mean? Like and the and the churches that are following his teaching so so to speak have kind of seen a revival that their churches haven't i know i'm making very general comparisons but the theonomous churches are having revivals and the other ones aren't and so rather than saying maybe i need to figure out my theology on this point or just talk about it and find out what's going on we're turning because we're actually guilty and jealous
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you went there and I'm glad you said it instead of me, but I I think that's exactly it at the heart (laughs) of this. And and (laughs) I'm (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm,
1: going to say something. So if you're listening to this and you're a friend of mine or whatever, and you are on the other side of this, I'm going to say something now that's going to offend you. Then I'm going to caveat it and explain what I mean by this. This to me seems like the revenge of the beta males. What's going on here. I think is at the heart of this matter, I think is you called it jealousy. And I, I think there is some of that I think that there's a lot of guys who are used to being on the conservative side of things. I just did air quotes, which isn't yeah. good Isn't good radio, but the conservative side of things who don't know what it's like to be on the other side. Now, they've been the ones who are defending a, a, what I would say was the more liberal position of, you know, Romans 13-ism and lockdown-ism and all that kind of stuff. They don't like being on that side of things. And I would also say that there are a lot of pastors who I think— would have opened or should have opened believed that they should be open but didn't open some of them quite frankly, I think because there was too much to lose pensions livings pastorates positions at heritage you know whatever and some of them I think didn't open because they didn't have their boards with them and so then they've they've now had to tout a position that they don't necessarily believe and they they weren't leading out a conviction they were controlled by their their boards. So in both of those conditions, I think that they would be looking at a church like ours. I'll use myself as the example here that stayed open and our church is experiencing blessing. Like it's incredible. And they look and they say, there's a a part of them. And I know this because I know my own heart. So. If you feel like you're getting you know, slammed here unnecessarily, I know my own heart. I know the pride that I'm prone to. I know the jealousy and the envy that I am prone to. So when I'm pointing it out in somebody else, know that I battle envy, I battle pride, all those things myself. I think that there's some envy of the blessing and the normalcy that has been experienced at some churches. And I think that's the motivating factor behind some of the character assassinations of Joe, because they recognize Joe as as a sort of figurehead of all of this. I also know guys like Tim Stevens and James Coates. They were not Joe Boot guys. We are making broad generalizations here. But I do think that there have been a lot of us who have been influenced by Joe Boot. And rightly or wrongly, I think that he's been labeled as a sort of figurehead of, of sort of the other side during all of this. The other thing that I I find very interesting is that kind of wrapped up in all of this, and I've been told this before. When we have gone on social media and said, you know, pastors open your churches, I've been accused of sort of trying to pastor other people's sheep, right? And some people have been sort of hurt and offended by this sort of the social media presence that uh, me, Aaron Rock, Jacob Rayom, Joe Boot, some of the Michael Teeson, some of these guys have been fairly outspoken on social media about where we stand on lockdowns and and what churches ought to be doing and all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting to me that that's the criticism. Well, you shouldn't be doing that because you're, you're now binding the conscience of other pastors, right? You're trying to shepherd other people's sheep. What do you think the Gospel Coalition does? What do you think Nine Marks does? How many of you who would have said that to me have shared a Gospel Coalition article recently? or have shared a Nine Marks article recently. This is the digital age that we live in. Everything that we put out there is, is communicating this to people. If you as a pastor... Posted on social media when you got your jab, like everybody was doing on social media, that is communicating a worldview to this. There are people in your church who chose not to get vaccinated. Maybe some of them because they mistakenly thought it was the mark of the beast. Maybe some of them because they had done some research and thought that it wasn't safe. And when you post on your social media that you've gotten it as their leader, you're communicating something too. So so it's not about whether or not pastors can publicly share their things on on social media. It's which things are they sharing? We're okay if you're sharing Gospel Coalition and Nine Mark stuff. We're not okay if you're sharing Joe Boot, Ezra Institute stuff.
0: We can prove this to you really quickly. Did anybody have a problem with Joe Boot in 2018? Because he wrote The Mission of God before that. Long before that, yeah. And everybody was teaching like all of you guys, I, I, yep. I mean, we're all teaching this before that. Some of these people were mentored by people who were openly theonomists. I won't say the names, but like, um, I can think of it was like their churches are used to this teaching. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's only become a thing now because Romans 13 versus the theonomists And they like, well, it seems to be the two sides like, yeah. um, that, that broke down. And I think you're bang on. Like it is, it is jealousy, but like a pastor coming out and, Saying something on, on social media, which they're doing as well, isn't shepherding somebody else's flock because your your pulpit ministry isn't what you do. To, like, that's a part of your shepherding ministry. It isn't the thing you do for the. That's like, right. I've seen your cell phone. I know how many calls you take. I know how many meetings you have. Those are the things that are shepherding your people. You know what I mean? What right. happens on the pulpit is a part of it, but it's not the only, only part of it. But, like, it also, let's think about the stupidity of that argument. The early church, Paul wrote letters. So you're basically saying Paul shouldn't have shared those letters around because he's now pastoring somebody else's church in. And it's like, no, obviously we know good teaching should be shared. Right. If you get your sermon shared and you speak on something about like pastors open up your churches and you can prove it from the Bible and you've said it, That's teaching that should be shared. Whereas what you point out on Twitter or whatever isn't necessarily like you teaching, you know what I mean? It's your opinion, you know what I mean? Like they're just basically getting upset because we're not all conforming to the same line, right?
1: And just to kind of, because I want to be fair to the arguments that I've heard from that side, part of the issue is not just the social media posts, but the tone of those posts, Now, we've talked about this a lot, right? Let's get real here for a second. Like, Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal, right? He said, you know, maybe your God is relieving yourself. Paul said to the Galatians that uh, he wishes that the Judaizers would just chop their whole thing off if they're so passionate about circumcision. Jesus called the uh, Pharisees whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. I mean, Scripture uses strong language. And what's interesting is those examples, you might be like, well, yeah, but I'm not a Pharisee. It's like, "Mm, well, here's the thing. Who is it that Paul reserves the harshest language for? It's those who are threatening the ideology, the theology of his flock, right? Yes, I will reserve my harshest criticisms online for the gospel coalition. And it's not because I don't think Daryl Dash or Paul Carter or whoever. It's not because I don't think they're saved. It's because I think that they are getting this wrong. And so if they're pumping out articles about Romans 13 and I have taught my people what I think is a correct understanding of Romans 13, then yes, I will say that they are falsely teaching on Romans 13 through all of this. Now, here, here's the thing, and they might say, okay, well, that's exactly what we're doing with Joe Boot. Yeah, I totally understand that. I'm not canceling anyone. I have been open to conversations with people. I'm the one getting canceled from conferences. I'm not the one... Demanding other people get cancelled from conferences same with Joe boot. He's not the one who won't play nicely with the gospel coalition He's the one who's getting cancelled from their conferences. He's the one who's getting his books taken off their shelves I just gave out Daryl Dash's book how to grow the other day to somebody in the in the congregation I'm not canceling people. This is the point point. one side is canceling the other side is simply teaching trying to correct but we don't get anywhere when we cancel. This is why this, this whole idea of cancel culture just drives me absolutely crazy, is if you have such a problem with what's going on in somebody else's church or in somebody else's social media, can we not have that conversation without just labeling the person a dangerous theonomist and, and canceling them? Cancel culture in the church, I think, is unbiblical.
0: Absolutely, it's unbiblical. It's not healthy. You know yeah. I mean like um, because it doesn't address the problems. we are meant to confront issues. Every Christian has read the verse about um, do not judge. take the blog out of your own eye to take the speck out of your other. But they always forget that next line. it's like so that you can see clearly so that you can judge. It's not a situation where you're not to judge. You're not getting up on on social media with a giant log in your eye to take the speck out of their opinion, right? We are called to try to correct each other. If they're going public with an article from saying, you know, all the, like, here's what I think Romans 13 says. I think it's actually your duty as a pastor to rebuke that and to speak what you think it, think it says, because you've been called to tell us what the Bible says, your flock. You know what I mean? And that isn't you shepherding people in some other church. What's said publicly gets rebuked publicly you started this whole thing by saying it would be nice if they just would reach out privately to Joe Boone. Cause then it doesn't go on social media. Yeah. You're obviously going to be like, here's the post I just talked to. Like,
1: here's the thing too, though, is even if it's public, even if it is I'm fine with that, if it comes with the invitation for conversation, right? Joe has been very clear throughout all of this. I'll debate, I'll debate you on COVID lockdowns. I'll debate you on Romans 13. What you don't get to do is say it's about theonomy and then not engage theonomy. Because what it's really about is the envy and how mean Joe has been, right? How mean, I'm I'm doing air quotes again, how mean Aaron has been, right? How mean Nate has been. That's what it's really about. It's about tone, but they would feel petty to say it's about tone. And so they make it about theonomy. If it's about theonomy, let's have the theonomic conversation and let's take all the John Flavel books off your shelf, right? Because, (laughs) and I could go on and on. Samuel Rutherford, like like go take all of those books off your shelf because those are theonomists worth cancelling if theonomists are to be cancelled. So what I honestly think this comes down to is you're just lying. It's not about that. That's not what this is really about. You're making it about that so that it seems like there's a theological reasoning for what you're doing. What it's really all about is... You feel emasculated because of what they've said online. Maybe it's been too mean. Maybe it's been whatever. You know, Ian Clary, in conversing with Ian Clary, he said, and this is exactly, this is exact words. I got the receipts to, to prove it, is this is why I wrote that review when he was talking about the, the Gelding Coalition. So there's a there's a satire group out there called the Gelding Coalition Canada. I don't run it. Joe doesn't run it. Aaron doesn't run it. Jacob doesn't run it. Michael doesn't run it. Guilty. <laughs> um, we don't know who runs it. But it's a satire group that is sort of making fun of the gospel coalition. And the whole idea there is that they, you know, they, they think that they're being effeminate. And so they they put this out. Ian Clary outright said, that's why I wrote the review. Okay, so there you go. That's at the heart of it. So it's not about theonomy, it's about the fact that your feelings got hurt because the geldings hurt your feelings. Yeah. So my point is don't say it's about something that it's not if it's about theonomy let's talk about theonomy because that's a conversation worth having if you think that i shouldn't be invited to a conference joe shouldn't be invited to a conference you can't share a pulpit with a theonomist then you got to work out your theonomy you got to work out is this a heretical view if it is call me a heretic but let's call a spade a spade if you're working out your theology go work it out but if it's really about you just having your feelings hurt because people have been a little bit too mean then say that, and then we can have that conversation. But we're not having the right conversation if you're saying it's about one thing and it's actually about something else.
0: Yeah, and that's why canceling is such an unbiblical thing because you're not even having the conversation. You're just shutting it down, and then I'm going to keep speaking, and this I don't want to hear the defense or the arguments back, back on that. It's just terrible leadership. And we, yeah. you mentioned, uh, was it last week? Yeah, it was last week um, in our podcast. You mentioned about like the truckers came to Ottawa, and what did Trudeau do? He wouldn't even meet with them. Right. You know I mean, like one of the best lessons in leadership is to be welcome to challenge, be fine with it, yeah. be okay with people Absolutely. asking questions, questioning your decisions, your choices, just because somebody asks a question doesn't necessarily mean one, they disagree with you. Maybe they just want to understand the thoughts, but two, also like you need to be secure enough in what you're, what you're teaching to basically be like, here's what I'm in. I said secure enough to have the sack big enough to like basically be okay <laughs> with like the fact that Everybody might not be okay with you. And what's happening right now, and this is why I think the Gelding Coalition is so, so funny in this in this issue, is that what they're really saying is that they, they don't want to have the conversation. They're policing the tone because they're just not masculine enough to confront and agree to disagree, which I, I hate agreeing to disagree in the first place. But I mean, like, they're just afraid to have the conversation with yourself, Joe. This is probably the most fired up Nate's ever been, by the way. <laughs> what's so funny is that, like, they're not only just canceling the public figurehead in Joe. You know what I mean? They're not just canceling Jacob. They're not just canceling Aaron. They're canceling all of their churches too. Yeah. I have heard, I won't say who, but I've heard multiple times like, oh, I can't believe people go to your church. And that's stuff that's coming out from their congregations. Yeah. So where is that coming from? Because I can put my hand on, on scripture and like swear. We have never badmouthed one of the other churches. All we've said, and I think we've said it, repeatedly is open your churches i've heard multiple times about like i can't believe you go there or somebody who's come to crossroads to check it out and be like i had heard tons of bad things about I you. i know guys previously. i've heard that a lot so,
1: we like, didn't come because we were told that you guys were such and such and and then i came and wow you guys are nice or you guys are, I, I do preach a, the word you
0: I, got- I had a lady who doesn't come to our church but reached out to me i would like to come check out your church but i've been told that because i've i've been vaccinated i won't be welcome. And I remember, wow. I, I remember texting like reaching back like I can assure you, nobody would even ask. I was yeah. like, nobody would even we do like, feel care like at all. And she's come. She just she lives too far to attend regularly, but she wanted to like come to an open church. Yeah. And it was just like one of those things like where did you even pick that up? Right. And like she picked it up because she's going to a church that has badmouthed the ministries of the Liberty Coalition churches. I realize not all of them are doing that either. There's tons of, like, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, that is what is so yeah. evil about all this. It's not just canceling the man. We're canceling the ministry.
1: You said you used the word secure, and I think that's a good one. At the very heart of cancel culture is insecurity, Absolutely. right? One of the things that helped solidify me in, in post-millennial eschatology was actually, if you've ever watched the evening of eschatology where uh, John Piper mediates with Sam Storms, yeah, Doug yeah. Wilson, and, and Jim Hamilton. And, and one of the things that, that you get there, not only did I think his answers were the best, but Doug Wilson was the most secure guy at that table. Jim Hamilton, several times, I felt like he needed to get that last word in. He needed to give the response to so-and-so. He needed to answer that one question, whereas Doug got cut off several times and just never came back to the point. And and it's just because he believes he's right. He didn't feel the need to come and, and lay the hammer down on everyone else. He explained his position. I think he did it very, very well. I say that because... Why is an alternative view such a threat to people? And this is why we cancel things. We use terms like dangerous. Why do we cancel people's opinions and ideas? Because they're dangerous. We can't let people believe that. Whereas the more secure you are in your position, the more okay you are with competing ideas, right? So I'm a free speech advocate. I think people should have the freedom to say whatever you want to. Why? Because I know what I believe and their words aren't a threat to me and their ideas aren't a threat to me. And so when we cancel somebody, what we're really saying is we aren't secure enough in our own position that our position can win out the day. That person is either too intelligent and they'll talk all over me. Or their position might actually be right, and therefore I have to censor their opinion, censor their message, so that mine is the only one that my people are hearing. I think that comes from an area of insecurity, and if you can't lead out of insecurity, one of the first things Mike Wilkins said to me is, "There are too many insecure men in pastoral ministry. Don't be one of them." <laughs> that was <laughs> one of the very first things he said. You cannot be in this business with crippling insecurity because it'll make you a bad pastor. And I'm not I, again, I'm not generalizing. I'm not saying anybody who's you know disagrees with Theon as a bad pastor don't 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 draw dot or connect dots that i haven't connected but my point in saying all of this is don't cancel other brothers (laughs) we are called to be a bride that will one day be presented to god without spot or blemish or any such thing therefore we are called as brothers to come together and sort out the blemishes sort out the differences and if we're not willing to do that then we have to ask the question are we really one of the people that's supposed to be leading the bride. Yeah. I, right.
0: I don't even want to say anything more about that. That's great. i just there. All right. Peace.